Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. We have a really interesting podcast today, and I am your co-host, Lee Boyd. Yeah. Hey, Lee. <laughs> I love when I do that. I do, I, too. Rob Beller here. Hi, everybody. Hi. Okay. You'll hear a lot of me on the podcast hi, today. Hi, Rob. Hi, Rob. <laughs> how are you? <laughs> Look at that. We ought to do an entire episode where, Rob, where we're the other today? person. That's what we're doing. That's We're already... We're, we're, oh, we're, we're already, already there? Little, that's right. We're there. Well, I should have read my script. I'm sorry. You should have, you should have read the show notes. That's correct. Hmm. Well, too late now. This is Rob Beller and that's Lee Boyd. Hi, get over it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's life. And and if you're listening to this, I don't know what to tell you. Me either. Except Happy Friday I, night. Except we have a great, amazing episode here. Do you know what this episode is, Lee? I do. I do, do know. Do you want to tell everybody what it was, even though you weren't here when it got recorded? I can tell you that it's with Kate Terry and Jay Grayson from Surround Insurance. That's correct. Do you know what Surround Insurance is? I do, but I would much rather allow our guest to talk about it. I think it will entertain our audience more. Well, the real question that everyone's asking right about now, besides why are they jibber-jabbering, is why weren't you on the podcast? Why weren't you there? Why did you force (laughs) them to be stuck with me? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. And sometimes uh, Rob and I have have another job that we also have to do that takes us away <laughs> that's, from- That's from our real this, job. <laughs> yeah, that takes us away from this job. And sometimes we have to go whenever we're called. And mm-hmm. that's what happened today. Call of duty. Call of duty. But my sincere apologies to Kate and Jay. I always love visiting with Kate Terry. I believe this is her third time on here. Is that right? I think it's actually her fourth. She gets fourth a smoking- time. She gets the FNO and SureTech smoking jacket, four-timer. Remember she did a female founders. She did the female founders. Yes. Once or or once. Once? Oh, no. It's her third time. It's her third time. This is the all Ivy League podcast with the exception of me, which is, I did go to college, everybody should know. Uh With an MBA. But I did not go to an Ivy League school, but we have Harvard, MIT, and Cornell. I believe, all represented today on this podcast. So brilliant people who are insurance professionals who had a a really remarkable idea that we heard about once before it ever became a reality. But today it's a reality. They're actually, they're selling policies. They're in business. They've made it through COVID, if we can say that today, that we've made it through COVID. And they're, they're selling policies and doing business. And it's really exciting. And thrilling to see for them, we have Jay Grayson, who is the CEO and co-founder, and Kate Terry, our old friend, who is the COO and co-founder of Surround Insurance. Yeah, I think it's going to be a wonderful podcast today. I cannot wait to hear it. And so if you don't know what Surround Insurance is, well, then just listen to the podcast and you'll find out. Yeah. And, and, we call and, that a teaser. And spoiler alert, it's the cute one. Who's on today? Not the smart one. <laughs> That's what they all say, Rob. So the question. 
<laughs> the cute uh, one. The, the cute, cute one, one is on. Just just remember that the the questions are from the cute guy, so they're not very good questions, but the answers are amazing. So yeah. so There's the cute so, one and the brilliant ones on today. Th- yeah, the brilliant couple is on. Yeah, the smart one couldn't make it. He had no, to do his real it. job. Yeah, but the cute ones here. That's all that matters. So without further ado, here's our interview with Jay Grayson and Kay Terry from Surround Insurance. Hey, everybody. We are here with not just one, but two guests today, which is very exciting. And just one host, which is me today. So sorry about that for all you people who love Lee Boyd. We are with Jay Grayson and Kate Terry, the co-founders. I think I said that right, didn't I? Co-founders. Absolutely. Yeah. Of Surround Insurance. And Kate Terry is back for like the 14th time. (laughs) (laughs) Kate, this is number what on our podcast? I think it's three. You guys keep like letting me letting me back on for some reason. I'm not sure why. Well, we're thrilled to have you. And Jay and I were talking before you got on that at five times you get the jacket. Ooh. <laughs> you get you get the FNO InsureTech jacket, which is something that we get, find at the Goodwill, <laughs> and, then, and then we and, and, and then you take a piece of duct tape and you write FNO on it in a sharpie. We're all in. <laughs> we're all in. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. You. So you've seen one. You've seen one on someone else, apparently. I thought it was very stylish. I thought, uh-huh, I thought the yeah. tear in the sleeve was particularly uh, atmospheric. You know, everybody wants one. Everybody wants one. Anyway, we're we are thrilled to have you guys with us. You are the co-founders of Surround. You are the CEO and COO of Surround. So we have the C-suite. In the house. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Sure. Sure. We can go now. I think we're done. I just dropped um, my mic. I know? did too. <laughs> we're going to start with Jay because, Jay, we haven't had you on before. So welcome. Thank you. I'm excited and to be here. You know, I've heard so much about it from Kate. Really excited to share our story. So we're going to start with you and let you, since Kate got to tell us once what Surround was and what she does at Surround, but I'm guessing since that was like approaching two years ago, before this global pandemic, I don't know that you guys have have you heard about the global pandemic yet, but we're going to let you tell us what is Surround and what do you guys do and what do you do there? So ready, ready, go. Yeah. So, you know, the, the North Star hasn't changed that much from two years ago. You know, if you've set a, a vision and a direction, uh, hopefully it's defined in, in a way that you can repeat it. Uh, I can repeat what Kate said and Kate re- can repeat what I said and you finish each other's sentences. So, you know, really for us, Surround was created with this idea that the world's changed significantly. And this was pre-COVID, right? We've, we've all gone through this, this experience together. And we're emerging from this world of COVID where we still believe that there is a a consumer that is living, working, and moving in new ways. And what we mean by that is they're living in a period where they can unlock a car with their phone, they can unlock a home with their phone, they can start a freelancing contract with the convenience of their phone. And there are all of these platforms that have been transformed even in this era of COVID through digital Uh, in which that is always going to be our North Star. We're designing for this young consumer that is living, working, and moving in in new ways across 
um, this access economy that has been created over the last five to 10 years. And so what they need is insurance that's that reflects their lifestyle, that's really designed and feels personalized to them. And so what we've done is we've built this insurance platform that breaks apart insurance into the bits and bytes that we know as coverages, and it reformulates that insurance around them and the activities that they're doing, not just the assets that they own. And that's really the basis for what we've developed and how Surround surrounds you with insurance coverage. I have to ask you, how did you come to such an idea? We, both Lee and I, loved the idea of Surround, the whole thought, including your distribution model, which we'll talk about in a minute because I know you guys have made progress there. How did you get there to the idea of Surround? Because I believe it was you originally that came up with it, and then you... You stalked Kate and tracked her down, and when she wasn't looking, <laughs> I didn't use those words, Jay. Right. <laughs> you, you know our story now. It, you know, Kate, Kate, and myself. We we each have fifteen years of insurance background, so we like to say we're you know old enough to have the experience of, of understanding insurance, but young enough to be naive to think that we can do something about it. And so, you know, each of us has sort of come to this journey in in through different ways. I was the intentional entrepreneur. Kate likes to say she was the accidental entrepreneur. Together, we did a lot of consumer research. Now, in, in the pre-COVID world, we were spending a lot of time in a co-working space called the Cambridge Innovation Center. And that's right in Kendall Square, near MIT, near Harvard, near all of these technology and biotech companies. So you get to observe a lot of sort of interesting and new behaviors, consumer behaviors that are happening. They're you know, car sharing, bike sharing, freelancing. They're doing all these things that you sort of read about when you're in the ivory tower of a large insurance company, but they're among you when you're actually living in and in, in working in a co-working space. So for Kate and I, it really started with a lot of consumer research. Um, we spent time interviewing people off of Slack channels. We would find them. We'd do survey monkeys. We'd schedule interviews with people in different cities around the country. And we discovered this segment of consumers that really felt this insurance, they, they were living in this insurance gap that was just widening and lengthening in time from college graduation to the first major purchase or life event moment, like a car or mm -hmm. the purchase of a home or an engagement ring that are typically those moments that in property and casualty insurance were designed around. Mm -hmm. We found these consumers sort of jerry-rigging, putting together their own insurance coverages, people buying life insurance because they had parents that co-signed a student loan. They were worried that if something happened to them, they wanted mm -hmm. to have term life to pay for, sure. that, for that parent. Um, thoughtful. Very thoughtful. It's surprisingly thoughtful, right? And mm -hmm. and you, what what you begin to discover is that consumers sort of come to insurance. They find the path to insurance in various ways. And we were finding these consumers doing these, taking these risks and either taking a, a risk management strategy of avoiding something like, you know, taking a bike route in a, in a, on a safer route that had a bike lane that versus mm -hmm. not a bike lane mm -hmm. or buying insurance products that uh, they knew would protect them in certain moments of, of need. So it was really about getting to doing that research first with the consumer, finding out what they were doing and discovering what they needed in order to make their lives a little bit, a little bit better, give them a little bit more peace of mind. Um, so that was really the, the, the beginning of the story of Surround. Um, and why the North Star is still the same for us. Uh, we believe that that the world will continue to evolve towards this asset light uh, world, whether out of ne economic necessity 
mm-hmm. or out of convenience. Um, it's just our way forward, especially coming out of COVID. Um, we've seen a lot of changes in the world uh, structurally. A lot of people have shifted jobs. Some people have taken on new jobs in different industries. Um, th- there's a there's just a very, very different consumer mindset that we are discovering and we're designing for it's around. And when you went through this period and this discovery, one of the things you found out was this isn't a few people. This is That's a right. large group of people. That's right. We know of the 80 million millennials that are out there. Uh, we know that about 50 million of them rent apartments. We know about 40 million of them have some kind of a side hustle, um, whether full-time or, or part-time, they're generating 1099 income. We know about 20 million of them have a driver's license and they drive, but they don't have a owned or, or leased vehicle. Instead, they're renting or they're car sharing or they're borrowing cars, roommates' cars and parents' cars. They're living this sort of access economy lifestyle. So, so yeah, it's a large population and there's no real easy way to get to them which is why we came to the independent agency channel, which is what you alluded to a little bit earlier. We think independent agents are in a prime position to perpetuate that relationship with that 20-year-old that's graduating. Um, so we, we love the agency channel and we've gotten, we think there's a, a huge untapped opportunity to design for and invest in the agency channel as a, as a product innovation company. It strikes me as kind of counterintuitive though, that you have, you're talking digital, digital, digital. And when it comes to distribution, you go old school, right? You go not digital. I mean, I I assume that that somebody can come on and buy your product online on your website, but why that, that disconnect? I don't know if it's fair to call it a disconnect, you know, it's odd. Yeah, we don't see the disconnect. And, And actually I have this great picture that I took in about April of last year I walked up to an independent agency in the local neighborhood and it had a sign that says, we're not accepting walked up customers uh, or walk up appointments right now. And if you think about what agents have gone through over the last year, they've had to reinvent their business models around digital. They've made investments in digital marketers that are out there on social media. They've made investments in direct marketing. They have a digital presence and they're local, which is something that you know th- this millennial and Gen Z consumer really values is that local relationship and the advice that you get when you need it. So what we've done is we've, we've managed to build a few different purchase flows, some of which were invented in a time of COVID, that are digital first quote flows designed around the workflows within an agency. And um, we leverage the digital investments that agents have been making over the last year. And that's why they're excited to work with us is they have a new conversation to, to have on these social channels that they've basically built organically. And they can position our products differently than, say, a, a monoline renter's product. We're, we're building mm-hmm. for them a product that feels very tailored to today's lifestyle in the city. I love that part of your approach that it's this whole bundle of different kinds of insurances. Is it fair to call it a bundle? It depends on what you mean by a bundle. Uh, we think of it more as a, a package than a bundle. I mean, we've... We filed the coverage as monoline, right? Because Jay sort of uh, described this as the bits and bytes of, of insurance that somebody might want. I mean, one of the major issues in the insurance industry is that we are incredibly slow at responding to customer needs, in part because we are incredibly slow rolling out products, right? 
Mm-hmm. And there are several different reasons for that, right? And, and we can talk about, oh, you need enough data to roll them out. That's all true, but it's not really a data issue. It is old school thinking systems and prioritization. It is not building products to be uh, kind of resilient to change in the first place. And it's not thinking creatively about the insurance products themselves. So what we've built is a platform that allows us to swap in and out these little bits of insurance, right? So if you want to call it a bundle or call it a package, yes, but we're matching exactly the right set of or subset of coverages um, for each individual consumer based on their needs while keeping each of those modules as simple as possible. So this is not a platform where you're going to choose if you want a $375 deductible or $400 deductible. That's not the kind of choice that's meaningful to customers, but it is one where, you know, if you've got a, a small business, we can add some coverages easily. You know, we can add coverages that really reflect your lifestyle quite simply. So I don't know if bundle and package both have very loaded meetings in the insurance industry. Right, I think right. we'd call it a subscription, you know, just, just the right set of insurance products for just the right consumer for how they live you know, in, in, their, in their lives. Are you selling policies today? I know the answer to this question, but. Yeah, we're live and we've got agents hooked up to our platform. And so, yes, it's exciting. You've started in Massachusetts, correct? We have, yeah. Okay. And so what's next after Massachusetts? So our, our goal the whole time has been to, to do our, uh, I don't want to call an alpha, it's a beta really in Massachusetts to make sure that the platform's working, that our offering works, that our marketing and support collateral works, um, and that we're partnered with exactly the right agents who are excited to sell the Surround product. And that part's going really, really well. Um, and then our next move will be a little bit later this year to roll out to another set of states, you know, probably one or two initially, and then and then uh, maybe six or eight more in total for this year, and then to roll out further next year and the year after. I mean, our intent is within three years to be in probably thirty-five ish states. You know, all of those that have urban areas that are that are large enough for a product like ours to fit. So now that you're selling, and actually selling policies, what are you learning? What's surprising? What's what what kind of lessons are coming your way? from this early time in one st- in your beta state? Kate and I probably, we probably each have different answers to this question. And it is a, it is a great question because you do all this work uh, through the regulatory environment and, and, and you get to the start, you actually are just getting to the starting line is really what, what has occurred. And so there you get here and that's when the learnings begin, right? Because you finally get to touch and listen to the market and see what's happening. So I think for me, the few things that, that I've learned one is I did not have an appreciation for how much marketing, digital marketing and marketing investment that agencies have made over the last year. I know it sounds kind of obvious in, in the earlier conversation, but many of them have brought, many of these agencies, small to mid-sized agencies have brought on full-time marketers now. They're search hmm. engine experts. I mean, people that wow. are basically allowing them to find another gateway to that prospect that they didn't have before. So uh, it's gone from a you know referral business in the community to reaching audiences digitally and making real investments. So I think that's been eye-opening for me is that agents are the ones that are are digitally more digitally advanced they're pretty they're moving pretty fast. You can see them gain followers and drive engagement on digital channels. Uh, at least here in Boston you're seeing that uh, very clearly among some of them. I think the second thing is around uh, workflow and processes, you know, until you have a product and until uh, 
you get that sort of first touch with the agent and with a prospect, you can't really understand what they're going through. And, you know, you think you've built something really easy and fast for them to understand. But something I've learned is people don't know how to buy your product until you basically tell them. <laughs> you have to show them how to buy your product. Right. Uh, I'm so, sure it's hard not to say, what's the matter with you? <laughs> push that button that <laughs> we so designed easy. right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, our value proposition was being able to buy within you know three to four minutes, you can get a fully bindable uh, quote and a quote to purchase uh, a process in less than four minutes and you're buying four products. Uh, it, basically, it's four coverages in one. You know, what you think is going to be easy to buy is not, is not always the case. And we're getting a lot of learnings right now. There are a bunch of tools that allow us to undercover where people are getting stuck and you just get asked for feedback. The mm -hmm. agents that are most in, engaged will give you the feedback and say, this isn't what's, it's not working. I need you to design it more like my existing process. So we're learning a lot there uh, very rapidly. I think that's, that's probably the, the, the second thing. Kate, I would appreciate your thoughts as well. Yeah, no, I, I think Jay's, uh, Jay's hit it on the head. I, I think the other thing is, uh, <laughs> I mean, everybody, everybody already knows this who's ever built anything, but how, how hard it is to say no to things, right? There are so many opportunities. There are a dozen directions we could expand in. Lots of agencies have ideas for how we could just tweak our process a little bit to make it better, right? There are so many additional products we could add, and we are going to earn, uh, add more products, but just maintaining the focus uh, is so much discipline, right? But it's so crucial to getting anything done. So if you had a claim? No, no, it, it turns <laughs> out that our underwriting and product design are truly excellent. And so we've had no claims yet. <laughs> I, I'm sure that I'm sure you can plan on that continuing forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Uh -huh. I'm sure all our business uh -huh. partners have modeled it that way as well, right? <laughs> no. I want to ask you guys a question, a couple of questions about claims, because you're involved in these we're not calling it a bundle, but you're 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 involved in these different lines of insurance under your one umbrella. Is that a fair way for me to characterize it? And so, since you are, it's not like I'm sure you don't have a property department and a, an auto department. I mean, talk about how you're dealing with claims if they ever happen. You know, the first thing that we we thought about here, what what makes it. Uh, interesting, an interesting problem to solve is that we do have three different lines of business at the out onset, right? And they're personal and commercial lines. We spent a lot of time thinking about how do we deliver a claims experience that feels unified across the customer journey. So, uh, you know, part of that process was finding a, a claims uh, partner that could handle all of those lines of business and do it in a very consistent manner. So from first notice of loss all the way th straight through to settlement, we wanted to, we needed to find an administrator that could handle the three lines of business and do it very consistently with technology and with good outcomes too, right? Because it's not just about customer experience. You're also having to think about, you know, what are the outcomes ultimately that this, uh, that you're going to get financially from it. So we did do a little bit of a bake-off among the country's largest uh, third-party administrators. And we uh, found a great partner in Sedgwick, who is our, our claims administrator, and they are able to handle all of those lines of business for us. Now, long-term, as we think ahead, we know that uh, first notice of loss is really the first opportunity to demonstrate the promise of our product. Mm -hmm. So, you know, over time, as we get scale, we'll certainly look at moments of the customer journey that we want to consider and, and sort of customized for, for the surround experience. And that, you know, might be one of the moments that we kind of think about. But uh, we're very happy with the partner that we've selected because they're, they're able to handle uh, all three lines of business that we have and our aspirations as we think about other, adding other products and other lines of business. 
Kate, what about claims? That probably falls under your area of responsibility. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that we've paid a lot of attention to. As Jay mentioned, I think the biggest challenge um, is that the platform that we've brought live has both admitted personal lines and admitted commercial lines products on it, right? Our, our uh, commercial lines offerings include miscellaneous professional liability. And if you think about the difference in skill set between, um, you know, an, an auto adjuster settling uh, an auto claim, even an auto liability claim, which can be fairly complex, right? Mm-hmm. Compared to a miscellaneous professional liability claim, which is, I believe it's all lawyers pretty much, right? Lawyers lawyering. It's right. pretty complex stuff, right? Right. So um, so we were fortunate to find a, um, a third-party administrator in Cedric that had that broad range of, of skills and could support us in a way that felt like one team, right? That was that was super important to us. And um, yeah, the, the claims piece is, is pretty critically important. And we've got a pretty robust process on our side as well to follow up with our customers um, and claimants and make sure that everything's going well and that agents also have the information they need to talk to their clients. Does your platform support the claim process in that reporting a claim or 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 the the process of settling a claim? Is it supported by the platform? At this point, it's super simple, right? Because we, we had to sort of get to market. So yes, I mean, if you call in, uh, we'll transfer you over, you know, through through our, uh, our IVR system, transfer you right over to uh, to the first notice of loss department at Sedgwick. We've got links on our website inside the, the member portal and in our help area where you can get to a web intake form really quickly. And we've got these these really neat uh, portals that I just mentioned for our our, uh, our customers. There's also one for agents where you can see claim status and get some some basic information. One of the things that we'll be listening for really intently is the kinds of questions that we get back, both from customers and from agents, so that then we can build the information, the tools, and infrastructure that they need around claims specifically for them. Right. Um, in our policy sales process, we use sort of a, a pizza tracker type thing, as, as Jay likes to call it, letting agents know kind of where in our sales process each one of their uh, prospects is. And so some of that design, um, I'm hoping, will be very transferable to claims as we get a little bit further along. You know, most of the time, when, what people really want to know is that they're going to be taken care of and what the status is, right? The transparency right. wins the game both on the sales side and, and on the claim side, for sure. Right. So now that you guys are selling and and you're learning is one of the things you're learning is that even millennials and Gen Zers or what whatever you want to call them this younger cohort of people they want to talk to an agent. So we did a we did a lot of customer research before before we launched all of this, right? Because you did point out that um, we don't see it as counterintuitive to sell products to younger adults uh, through independent agents, but it 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 can seem that way initially. And one of the ways we got to independent agents was by talking to just hundreds of young adults and to their parents as well. And you know, everybody says, "Oh, young adults say millennials, Gen Zers, all they want is everything digital." But, you know, if you think about many of the services that are most popular with with Gen Z and millennial, um, you know, like TikTok, take that, for example, right, or, or Instagram, it isn't really the technology, it's the te- technology that enables some human connection, right? Mm-hmm. And so That's insurance fine. is not TikTok, we're not saying <laughs> TikTok, we're not singing sea shanties yet. Um, but what we found as well is that what, what these folks want is they want a really digital, beautiful, easy experience so they can start on their own terms from the device they want, the time they want. 
But when they get confused or when they want help or they want reinsurance, there better be a warm voice at the end of the phone who can help them, right? And who's the best person to do that? It's, it's an independent agent. So I don't know that I would say so much that people want independent agents, right? You got to talk about people in, in the terms of what they want. What they want is warm, reassuring help and expertise. And that happens to be in the independent agency channel. I want to ask you about this whole side hustle thing. The number that you guys shared um, of how many people in this cohort are involved in um, either either extra work, I, I assume that's what you mean by side hustle, is, is work that's not their primary job. Um, it's a stunning number. What, what do you make of that and how does that play into your product mix? Yeah, time and time again throughout our interviews, it was surprising to us that the the number of times that there was a side hustle that they were talking about, and and this generation of of millennials and Gen Z, they just sort of view it as a part of their 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 life. I mean, everyone is hustling was a was a statement that came up time and time again. I mean, we've actually we we actually have one of our interns that we found last year featured in the Wall Street Journal as a, vo- as a face of COVID. Uh, she's helped out a lot with our social media strategy. We hired her as a, as a side hustle. We didn't have full-time marketing work. We hired her and she had two or three other jobs at the time in order for her to piece together sources of income. She was a recent graduate from Boston University. She did get a full-time job and she's still maintaining that side hustle. She has an LLC, she's established. And so you know, this, th- you just think about it is such a large cohort and it's such a normal part of life today that, you know, even the IRS has established a new category. I think it's the 1099 NEC, which is the, the non-employee compensation 1099 just for, for this year. It is going to continue. We believe that this segment of consumers and this way of working is going to continue and it's going to be pervasive to the point that, you know, it, it's, it's, it spans across all generations. It's even, you know, you, we're, we're seeing consumers that are in their fifties and sixties that are maybe taking a little early retirement that are generating 1099 income. We, we see them all the time uh, in places where we're recruiting. It's one of those things where you kind of go, what are the inevitabilities? What are the things that you kind of look at and there are no regrets decisions? And we absolutely see the trend towards freelancing and we see the flexibility that this lifestyle provides to people. And it's like one of those things that we just said, this is an inevitability. It's a, it's a no regrets move to create an accessible product that allows people to at least give them the peace of mind around their freelancing work. Like Kate said, I mean, the, I think I saw a stat that uh, one in 20 businesses has actually had a lawsuit uh, in, a, in a given 12 month period. Like- you know, certainly you don't, you're not seeing it as much at the freelancing level, but as you go from a freelancer to now it's your full-time income, now you've got larger contracts, you're certainly exposed to potential litigation around negligence and, and, uh, and, and things that, that the professional liability product are great at covering. So for us in our research, it, was, it became very clear that if we can lower the price point from a $500 minimum premium product, which by the way is there because it's covering the overhead of acquisition for large insurance carriers, if we can make it more accessible by controlling that price through limits, which by the way, if you're making five or 10 grand, you don't need half a million in in limits. You need a hundred thousand really to give you Mm -hmm. the peace of mind that something could go wrong. So -hmm. you can control the price through limits. You offer the same great coverage that that product has been designed for and that the courts recognize. And you bolt it on to some other things that then, you know, make it attractive as an additional coverage. Um, and, and you can support a higher cost of acquisition because you have created these, these packs 
you get to a premium point that makes sense between $500 and $1,000, but you've done it by bolting together a bunch of lightweight coverages that together reflect that person's lifestyle. So yeah, it's um, it's just one of those things that we think is going to be obvious as you project ahead a, a couple of years, accessible, lightweight, professional liability coverage for these freelancers that are a growing population, a growing segment in the economy. Kate, what can you add there? Yeah, I mean, I think Jay's got it right. And I think I would point as well, I'm going to take it in a direction that, that Jay sort of opened, which is that one of the issues that has been tough in the industry is the cost of acquisition, right? We, we see it everywhere. We see it in the direct channel. We see it in the agency channel. And what that means is that there are products that haven't been available to consumers despite consumers' need for them because the average written premium is too low to support acquisition, right? And so there is something about pulling a bunch of these coverages together into a, not bundle, right? A subscription, we're going to call it that makes products that weren't accessible now accessible. And it allows you to truly spend some time and money personalizing exactly what's right for each consumer. So I think there's something to be said for sort of market availability, in particular for customers on that that incredibly complex line between personal lines and commercial lines. It's not it's not truly small commercial as it's usually talked about at carriers, right? But it's certainly not a personal risk if you're signing contracts and, and doing work on behalf of clients and corporations, right? And so one of my, my hopes as, as kind of the, the product person in this venture is that over time, not only can we bring the best of these coverages to people who are exposed to risk um, as they go about their lives and in some ways can't withstand a, a, a a loss the same way that a large corporation can, right? Um, but also that we can develop new products for them that fit their lives and, and how they're living even better. That's that's what I think is, is the promise of Surround in a lot of ways. Right, because I'm sure you don't want to lose these customers once you have them. Right. So as, as they mature and change, so will you. Yeah, yeah. One of the things we've been uh, we've been talking a lot about, and we've started. We're we're uh, pretty deep in negotiations with with several different partners. Is bringing our our next set of products onto the platform. So our platform both allows us as the MGA to build uh, you know our own products on our on our partners' paper and with the the backstop of Cisco Reinsure, um, but also to take other companies' products that might be sort of simple and attractive for this particular. Uh, this particular customer segment and to pull those in so that we're offering the customer something uh, robust. We're not hiding that it might be somebody else's product, but we're pulling it together in a way that makes it super easy. So that's another leap forward in our development that's going to be pretty exciting. Because it just occurred to me that that these people are going to, your customers are going to buy a car at some yeah. point in time, and they're going to buy a house at some point in time. And you don't just want to wave to them as they do that and say goodbye. You, you got it, Rob. I mean, this is a story about capturing that consumer early and having the products available to them that meets their needs as their lives change. Mm -hmm. Now, um, that that is sort of the promise of Surround. That, that is certainly as we think about the future where we'd like to be. But right. Uh, right now, we think that there is enough white space in filling that insurance gap that's happening after college graduation. And then we can continue to grow with them as their lives and their needs change. Yeah, it's a little bit like what Coke does with a Coke machine at the high school, right? They, Coke and Pepsi, Coke and Pepsi have this enormous battle to secure high schools, and they off, they do it by by offering tremendous financial incentives to the high schools 
and the and the school systems in return for letting them have their exclusively their brand on campus. Because what they've learned is is if you start drinking Pepsi when you're 15, chances are you'll drink Pepsi forever. Yeah, and, I'd like to think insurance is is a healthier habit than than soda, Absolutely. I don't know. Sorry about that. Rob, what I hear is you're you're driving <laughs> partnerships to us potentially through either Coke, Pepsi, or some large insurance carriers. One there of you well, there we there can you we can stick it in the surround vending machine, right? Very well. There um, you go. Yeah, but there is there there are kind of two interesting things here, right? One is that yes, like. There are lots of companies that talk about finding customers earlier in their life cycle, right? But we're going even earlier to the moment that an insurance customer who's on their parents' policy first gets taken off of their parents' policy. It's not our only kind of point of sale or, or way in. But um, in many ways, those customers have been disregarded. They haven't been treated with the full respect that they deserve as, as individuals managing their own mm -hmm. risk, right? And they actually have the highest lifetime value of anybody out there, right? right. I mean, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of uh, interesting to think about. And then Jay talked about the depth of designing products for them as, as they age or, or as their lives change, right? There's also the breadth of products, right? There is no reason that we need to, uh, to offer kind of straight up normal property and casualty products alone, right? I mean, we're licensed for life, for accident and health. Um, there are a lot of inland marine products that are attractive as well. You know, pet, there's travel, there's a lot of accident type products. Uh, product breadth as well is, is important in this age group, right? Especially as their lives and their, their sort of lifestyles over the years don't necessarily resemble kind of the traditional like finish college or military service or high school and buy a car and then buy a house and then get married and then have a child and then install your white picket fence, right? Mm -hmm. Some people right. that way, but many don't, right? So, so this allows us to meet their needs. You know, one of the things that I, I, I'm that has occurred to me is that your prototypical customer who's, you know, in their 20s, I would say, but I have to think that they're is probably some people like my age, right? Mm -hmm. Who are like, oh, this would work for me, mm -hmm. right? Are you fine? Are you fine? Is that a, a pleasant surprise that you're finding? Have you seen that yet? It's not an initial. We have gotten some inquiries for sure. It's not an initial focus for us because you kind of got to start somewhere, and we've started very focused on a large underserved market. But it's always been out there uh, as an expansion market to us. Like there are a number of, of other segments that this would work for, and that the empty nesters, Jay mentioned them earlier, moving back into right. the city right. for sure. Now they probably need a higher limits profile. They might need a few different, more complex types of coverage, right? They may already have a, a life insurance policy and some other things you'd want to work around, but it is a very similar in a lot of ways, right? It's, it's this new urban lifestyle that, that really isn't dependent so much upon age as it is upon attitude, right? Right. That's what it kind of struck me is it's, it's, a, it's kind of an urban product. Mm -hmm. And as like, I'm a baby boomer, as baby boomers move back into the cities, it makes sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Including the side hustle part. Mm -hmm. Let's talk in the few minutes we have left. Let's talk about COVID because I know mm -hmm. it had, I assume it had a major impact on your company. When we first spoke, Kate, yeah, which was early in 2020, mm -hmm. I think it was pre, actually pre pandemic, like right on the cusp yeah. of it, of it becoming a, a big thing. You guys were looking at April, if I remember correctly, mm -hmm. about a year ago, you were planning, yep. you were hoping to to launch. Yeah. So 
How much of it was COVID? Tell us about your particular COVID journey that you guys have had. Yeah, let me let me say two things about what's been really hard about COVID in terms of timing, and then maybe hand it over to, to Jay for some other thoughts, because I know we, we both have a million things we think on this topic. Um, so yeah, two things were really hard about about the pandemic. We were we were supposed to do our final on-site due diligence with our reinsurer and our fronting carrier literally the day that Boston shut down. So that didn't happen, which um, fortunately, you know, they, they stuck with us and whatever, but moving everything to virtual was not a smooth process for, for any of us, right? Um, fortunately, we, you know, everybody stuck in there. We were all excited about the deal and we were far enough along that, you know, we were able to to replace on-site due diligence with uh, with many Zoom calls. Um, so that all worked out just fine, but, you know, it would have been easier to meet in person and just keep moving, of course. Um, and then second of all, the regulatory environment is really tough right now for, for getting products approved quickly. Um, you know, we've been monitoring what's been going on both in Massachusetts and, and in other states. Um, and there are some pretty significant slowdowns that are related to, you know, staffing issues and then also a whole lot of COVID-related products and COVID-related rate changes, uh, decreases in the personal line space, sometimes increases in the commercial line space, depending on what's going on, right? That have just sort of backed up the, the departments of insurance, right? They're, they're as effective as the rest of us are by COVID, and, and suddenly they're facing increased demand. So kind of managing the regulatory process was was far more time-consuming than we, we would have hoped, and, the, and then it would have been pre-COVID. And, you know, that's that's not a surround thing. That's something that we've been hearing from insurance friends at both startups and and at very large carriers that, that you know have a lot of potential leverage, right? So I think those two things have made it have made it uh, tough, but we made it through and we launched right in an era when a lot of early stage startups have have unfortunately folded despite their great ideas uh, because of what's going on with COVID. Jay, I know you've you've got other thoughts, right? Yeah, I would. Uh, I would also. That's a great summary of of how we got to this point. I think what we're most optimistic is is what the economy is going to look like as we come out of this. Now, there's yes. been a lot of structural changes, right. obviously, over the last twelve months. But if you just take Boston alone, which we we know there's about three hundred thousand consumers that are kind of uh, living at the intersection of what we're designing for, because uh, it's a very college rich town, young professionals, lots of tech and biotech. The cities are on. The city is on sale right now. The people that were living in the city pre-COVID that had assets, they moved. They they bought the white picket fences that uh, Kate was talking about. So vacancy rates have skyrocketed into the double digits. I mean, you know, 12 wow. to 17% in some neighborhoods. Rents are down to the 2016 levels in, in largely the urban core. And so what obviously has to happen with supply and demand is pricing we're already seeing go down with, with like I mentioned, the 2016 rents. What you're seeing is younger consumers coming into the cities to repopulate those apartments. So we are really optimistic about this summer and next summer. You know, a prime time for us is really leading from college graduation to September 1st, when mm -hmm. many of the, I think it's like 80% of the rental market turns over. Um, so we're seeing already some amazing signs of people, you know, coming into the city, younger generation consumers that are like perfect for the surround, li they're living the surround lifestyle. So uh, these kids were probably boomeranging back home and the kids and the parents have now said, go back to the city, <laughs> you know, get get out of the house and and go back and, uh, you know, return to Cambridge and Boston and, and Somerville and, and Brookline and Arlington. So um, we are incredibly optimistic when we think about the energy that's going to come back to the cities as uh, the vaccine uh, rates continue to increase and um, the economy continues to rebound. Sure. 
I mean, I'm in California and Sacramento, and we're already seeing in the evenings when you go down, the, our downtown midtown area is very, very popular and um, it's booming. Some, I think a little prematurely, but nonetheless, there's so much excitement build up, built up. I don't know if excitement's the right word. People are ready for it to, to, to move to whatever that next phase is that we're all going to move into. I, I, before we go, I want to talk just for a second about funding. Are you guys venture funded? We are. We've we've actually raised almost all of our funding has come from insurance sources. So the retired insurance executives, or you know private funds that are focused on the insurance space. So it's a it's a balance of angel and and venture funds uh, that are have invested to date. Listen, what a pleasure to have you guys here today. Like I said at the beginning, we we love your product. We love what you're doing. We love the whole concept of it. And we found it so fresh and original. And that's one, one of the exciting things about doing the podcast that we do is we get exposed to all kinds of interesting and even crazy ideas. And your guys, it seems to me, is just the right mix of those two. It's just interesting and pertinent enough and crazy enough that we, we're, we're big believers in your product and, and your future success. So we love having you on, and, and thanks for bringing Jay along. And Jay, I didn't even get to talk to you about golfing. Well, that would be a great reason to have us back on, Rob. So I, I'd love to talk about that. I actually <laughs> have my, my master's uh, putter in the background, which I know the listeners can't see. I was there about were seven there? years ago. Uh, seven years oh, ago. Okay. Seven years right. ago. But okay. uh, just what a wonderful experience. Love having you guys. Thanks. And Kate? You're getting closer to that jacket. <laughs> Whenever you're next going to invite me on, I think I'm busy that month. I'm sorry to say. I was just going to say, you may never want to be on our podcast again. No, thanks, thanks for having guys. us on. It's been great. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for coming. Lee, even though you weren't with me for this, I know right. you were with me in spirit. I felt the presence of Lee Boyd throughout the whole podcast. Yeah, I was thinking about you during that time. Exactly. Exactly. Just like that, huh? Uh huh. That was kind of what was going off in my head. Yeah, alarms and bells and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was sending you my positive energy. I was thinking about you and our guests. <laughs> well, I'm not sure about that. Maybe about our guests, but but we also got to have Jay on, and he was fabulous. And we thank Kate and Jay for being with us today, and have so much respect and admiration for what they're doing and what yeah. they're achieving. Wow. Can't wait till this story rolls out further and we get to hear more about it. Thank you to both of them. And no thanks to Lee Boyd no, for no, being no with thanks. us on the podcast today because he wasn't. I'd like to apologize to the guest. I really wanted to be on there. Okay. It was my desire. Okay. How about our audience? They're the, all all the Lee Boyd all the Lee Boyd fans. Yeah, all three of them. I am sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to to all three of you, um, to the other four thousand of you. Um, I guess whatever. But I'm sorry to the ones who cared. So that's Astrid, your <laughs> wife, and your daughter. Well, maybe my daughter. I don't know about my wife. <laughs> that's right. So so probably more like two fans. Two and okay. yeah, one one and a half. All right. She's very right. small. Okay. Well, that's that's two more than me. So you're well. you're doing okay. Thanks for being with us today. Please come back on the next episode of FNO Insure Tech. And until then, we say goodbye, everybody. <laughs>